Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. Uh, as they're uh, walking out, we're transitioning. I invite you to open your Bibles or, of course, follow along with your uh, bulletin, Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 24. Uh, Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24. Let's, let's pray uh, before we, we read. Uh, Father, thank you for this time uh, that we can gather together and just kind of pause from what we have going on in our very, very busy weeks uh, and just sit uh, and think uh, about your word. Uh, Father, um, may you use this sermon uh, and, and go deep, plumb deep into our hearts, change us, transform us, um, give us all strength uh, to endure. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So the, uh, you know, the longer we're alive, so it seems, the more we have an opportunity to hear a lot of really creative excuses, right? Um, I read where a group of high school students started telling one of their teachers that they had to leave every day from class because they had Quidditch practice. And, it, and according to this report, it totally worked. The, the teacher had never heard of the practice, never heard of that sport, uh, but she was new there, and so she let them go. Surely the school has a Quidditch team. Or what about another student who didn't do their homework, and so they decided to tell their teacher, I lost my homework fighting a kid who said, you weren't the best teacher. And I said, oh, yes, you are the best teacher. And I lost my homework in the, in the fight. Excuses, right? You know, one boss shared the worst excuse they've ever heard. The boss said, when our new hire didn't show up for work, I called her, and she explained that her mom had passed away, and then she would need a few days for bereavement. Of course, I said. Well, fast forward, a week or so went by, and she still hadn't returned to work, so the boss called again. This time, the new hire said, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that my mom has come back to life. She's, she's back. The bad news is that she's sick again, and so I need to stay home to continue staying home with her. One lady responding to a wedding RSVP said, I'm so sorry, I can't attend your wedding. Again, the wedding's like three months away. I can't attend your wedding uh, because my cat has just had an operation and I'll be looking after my cat all summer. You know, what are, as we think about this, what are some of the worst, the, the lamest excuses you've ever uh, heard? You know, likely everyone in here has hurt someone with a lame excuse or been hurt by somebody else uh, by a really lame excuse. To have a friend say, well, they, they can't hang out with you. And especially when your friend says this kind of last minute, you know, you've got the plan, and then last minute there's a call, I, I, can't, I can't hang out with you. And, and because, you know, family member's sick, my dog has separation anxiety, whatever, only to find out later via Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, um, that there was a party um, where your friend wanted to go be with the other friends and you weren't invited, right? Um, your friend was never with their family nor their dog. Uh, they just didn't want to hang out with you. And it's very easy to be insulted, right? To, I mean, to be hurt, especially with the lame excuses. Why don't you just tell me that? 
Uh, well, I deal with this on an almost monthly basis with my brothers. Uh, every Sunday night, we have this standing uh, chat time at 9 o'clock uh, in the evening. And at least once a month, one of my brothers will tell me, quote, they are either, quote, fellowshipping or doing something for their pastor until 1030 or 11 at night. And, and I'm always like, Why, like, are you telling me this because you think I'll understand? Uh, because you think I'm, because I'm a pastor? And I'm like, man, you, I just want to say, like, you've been with that guy all day. Your pastor needs to let you go home, okay? It's like almost midnight. It's just ex excuses. All right. What does, what does all this have to do with Jesus? And really, what does all this idea about excuses have to do with us following the Jesus way? Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus says a whole lot more than we think. More so than many, many things, excuses, the excuses that we use reveal our hearts. They show us what we're really all about, what we really like. And so with that, let's go back to where we left Jesus last week at this it was kind of an awkward dinner party so far, right? So we're going to go with Jesus to an awkward dinner party and continue to see what he has to teach us. So this is God's word, Luke 14, 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first person said, I've bought a field and I must go see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house he became angry and said to his servant, All right, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's, there's still room. And so the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet." This is God's good word. All right, so just a, a reminder of the context. We found this out last week, right? The ruler of the Pharisees had invited Jesus over for a dinner party. This is the Sabbath meal. And, and it's not that Jesus was particularly trying to be rude or insensitive, but it wasn't long before he had offended almost pr well, pretty much everybody around the table because, and, and we know this, um, religious people, or we could say cultural Christians, are almost always offended when we, when they realize that what Jesus taught often clashes with what we hold to be our personal beliefs, right? He offended the Pharisees by healing a man on the Sabbath. He offended the other dinner guests by how they were jockeying for the best seats. And then he offended the host by, you know, pointing out the quid pro quo nature of who they invited to the party. They invited people that they, you know, could pay them back and invite them over. And so at this point, everyone's toes had been properly stepped on and things were getting awkward at the table. And you know, we all know people, right, who can't handle awkward silence. It's like you just don't, you don't do too good with awkward silence. And so this one person stepped up trying to be a peacemaker, you know, tried to savage the party. And so he, uh, he took something that Jesus had just said in the previous passage about the resurrection. And then he coupled it in by adding a, a spiritual comment 
that he thought surely everyone would agree with. We're just going to make this easy. He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, to which no doubt everyone there grabbed their cups. Amen. Well said. Cheers. Right? But they should have known better uh, because Jesus can't let hypocrisy go unaddressed. He just can't. Uh, he knew their hearts. I mean, he is the God-man. He knew their hearts. That though they hemmed and hawed about the kingdom of God, in reality, they had no desire for God's kingdom. Like the only kingdom they really cared about was their own, their own little kingdom. And so Jesus told another parable to teach them and to teach us. And by the way, at the end, as you notice, he, he let the cat out of the bag. That he's talking about himself, right? The party is about, is his party. He's talking about that gracious invitation to salvation that's in him and, and this gracious invitation for all who are in him to come to the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? All right, so let's, let's jump in then. Verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. All right, so y'all know those, those big-time Delta weddings, right? Uh, there's probably, what, one every year or so. Just big-time uh, Delta weddings. And as far as the community is concerned, I mean, that is the social event of the year right, right there. It's got an extensive menu of cul culinary delights and drink and desserts, and they've got Dr. Czar and the Funk Monsters over on the dance floor playing music. And if that's not your scene, that's okay because they've got Stephen Pillow in the lounge uh, entertaining you there. I mean, you hear about this party, and all the, it's just... Just the, the party of the year, and you're just so honored that you got invited. Can't believe you got invited to such a party, such a gracious host. And so during Jesus' time, the custom for these grand parties was to send out two, two invitations. The first invitation was akin to our save the date announced, but you know, just stick it on your refrigerator, just mark it in your calendar. There's going to be a party. Start getting ready. And an RSVP to that first invitation would help the host, you know, better know how to plan for food and drink and kind of how big the party is going to be, how to prepare. And in the ancient world, we've got to remember, this wasn't like email and, you know, automobiles. In the ancient world, those invitations didn't come out months and months before the party, but maybe like days before the party or maybe weeks at the most before the party. Everything was in a much smaller time frame, much smaller geographical area. So having sent out the first invitation and having made the final preparations in response to those invitations, uh, the host would then send out a second invitation to those who had accepted the first invitation. Uh, Alistair Begg said, whereas the first invitation would say, get ready, it's coming, the second invitation would say, get going, it's here. Okay, the soup's on, salads are on the plate, the funk monsters and Stephen are tuning up. Come now, like the party is, is happening. Okay. And just for cultural context, to accept the first invitation only to then, and like a few days later, reject the second invitation was not only unthinkably rude, but it was, in, it was seen as intentionally insulting to the host. I mean, wars have been fought over the second invitation being rejected. It was just a complete lack of regard for the master. All right. Well, Jesus said, all these people who heard the invitation and at first said, absolutely, dude, I'm there. Count me in. I'm there. Were in reality all talk. Because when it came time for the actual party, like the actual call, when the rubber met the road, all they had were excuses. 
So not only was that an, an indictment on these Pharisees and the people at this, this party or this dinner party, but isn't this a, a sober warning to the church today, to all of us? So the invitation came, time to go to the party, and the first man said, I, I can't go. See, I just, I just bought a field, and I need to go look at this field. To which we would say, oh, you're going to pass up like, the, the party of the year? You're going to pass up the party of your lifetime to go look at a field? I mean, what are you going to do after the first 30 seconds, after you've looked at it? And talk about a lame excuse, because back then in this culture, the land tra transactions, I mean, this is like, if you read the Old Testament, you know, the Israel's all about the land, right? They are obsessed about some land. Land transactions took years to negotiate. Now, every foot of the land was carefully described and documented in the final agreement of sale. It's so, like, what a joke. To this man, his possession was more beautiful and exciting to him than the master's party. I just got to go look at what I just bought. You know, I once invited a guy here uh, to come here on uh, church on Sunday. Uh, I mean, really just to come worship. And he said, I, you know, I would love to come. I really would love to come. But, but my family has a couple hundred acres of timberland. And I haven't checked on it in several months. And I really need to go check on those trees. And I just thought, it's one of those lame, it's like, dude, if you don't want to come to church, you can just tell me that. That's, it's totally okay if you just tell me that. Well, another person said, I can't come. See, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and, and I need to go examine those ox. You know, a lame excuse number two, right? And I, yeah, I, do, you, do you think any farmer worth their salt, at least in this time, would go buy ten oxen without checking them first? Like, w w this would be a pretty major purchase on the farm. I is there any farmer in here who would buy a combine? And, and you do, I mean, it might run. You don't really know if it runs. You don't even know if it works, but you're going to buy it, right? Besides, even if, even if he did want to test his new purchase, I mean, the ox, they're, they're there. They would be there after the banquet was over. And then finally, there was the last excuse. One man said, look, I just got married, so I can't come. And to that again, Alistair Beck said, now that's, that's one that we can kind of understand, right? You know, I, I just got married, so I can't come. Well, why not? Well, well she won't let me come, right? And granted, so in the Old Testament, and remember, like Israel was, was way more serious about marriage than probably our modern culture is. You know, there, was, uh, there were provisions in the Old Testament that if you got married the first year of your marriage, you had very little social or communal requirements because they wanted you to establish that family culture in the home. However, it's like, why not bring your bride to the party, Right? Um, she might enjoy getting out. She might enjoy seeing somebody other than you. <laughs> uh, she may enjoy dancing the night away. Okay, so, so these people, they think they've got good excuses, uh, but their excuses told the master more than they thought because it, excuses reveal our hearts and our, our true feelings about God. Uh, you know, the, the thought of salvation, the thought of Jesus, the thought of church, the thought of all this, like it's a good thought, and we all think it's kind of a good thing, right? And yet when it, it came time for them to actually come and to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, when it actually came time, they preferred possessions and loved ones more to this eternal party. So, y'all, Jesus in this parable, like he's, he's cutting us, he's he, he's, he's cutting through all of our excuses, and he's leaving us really with no leg to stand on. Um, 
that just like these people, just, they really didn't want to go to the feast. Jesus tells us that the real reason for the lame excuses that we have for not coming to him, not following him, not experiencing the joy of salvation is simply because we do not want to. The heart wants what the heart wants, right? And without Christ, our hearts are pretty wicked indeed. The heart wants what the heart wants. And so if you wanted to be involved in the community of God, you know, re respond to the gospel and worship, then, I mean, then you will. I mean, give someone a 50-yard line box seat to the Super Bowl, right? Gift a hunter an all-expense-paid elk hunting trip. Uh, ladies, uh, a shopping spree up and down the Magnificent Mile. Just say, hey, here's a million dollars. Just Fifth Avenue, knock yourself out. Like, I mean, they, we, like, we are moving mountains to get there, are we not? I mean, to heck with those ox. Someone else can look at that field. Uh, it can, it'll be there when I get back. Now, obviously, uh, Jesus isn't saying there, there's anything wrong with you know, fields and ox and, and things. Those are good and fine in themselves. But what a reminder of how easy it is for temporal things to choke out the eternal, right? For the cares of the world to become bigger and more important and more beautiful to us than what Jesus has and is and will continue to do. You know, the cares of the world really do choke out the word. Jesus said it many, many times. The cares of the world really do choke out the word. And to make things worse, Jesus is talking to very religious, like these people don't miss, they, they don't miss synagogue. And he's saying even their religious activity can be a reason for rejecting God. And so, Mr., we've seen this throughout the Gospels. Many are invited. Like, many are called. But few come. Few finish the race. So as you're taking your cues, as you're looking around, please make sure you aren't taking your cues from the many. Okay? Uh, there are many, many cultural Christians, uh, carnal Christians, who are... Like, you think that's the way, but they're leading you in the way of the many. Uh, have I mentioned again <laughs> the, the utter punk rock, countercultural way that is the Jesus way? So, this is a warning. It, it's so easy for entertainment, uh, for work, for family, for friends to pull us away. And, and, and we may say, look, it's just for a season, it's not, not going to be for long. And yet, you, what you water grows, right? And many, like Demas, desert, preferring to love the world instead of the one who made the world. So in this parable, we have to see that, that, okay, Jesus is saying, underneath the excuses of I need to do X, Y, or Z, it is, it's really, I don't want God. I don't want to come. I'm just not interested. Because I got fields, I got trees, I got family, I got a future. We have things that are more important, more beautiful to us. And so first, you know, this is really a, a call to repent of that and to come back home, come back to our first love. Near the end of the last battle, this is uh, C.S. Lewis's final book in his Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, similar to this passage, the Lion King, Aslan, um, he, spread, he spread a feast before this group of really kind of cranky dwarves. But the dwarves didn't believe in Aslan. They didn't think it was anything special. Uh, they, other things were more beautiful, and so they, they failed to see just the scrumptious nature of this feast. And here's how Lewis described it. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and pigeons and 
trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand, but it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear that they could not taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One of the dwarfs said that he was trying to eat hay, and another said he got a bite of old turnip, and a third said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips, and they said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. Never thought we'd come to this. Okay. As Paul said, the gospel, that what Jesus did on the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, right? It is cabbage leaves and dirty water. It, oh, never thought it would come to this. But to those of us who are being saved, to those in whom Jesus is Lord and Savior, there is nothing better under the sun because it is the power of God. Well, the master was going to fill his party, right? He is going to call in his people. And, and so he said, go to the lame, go to the blind, the, the lost, the poor. In other words, go to the people who would never be invited to this kind of a party. The kind of people that in, in the eyes of the world, they just don't have it. We're going to invite them. And as gracious as that is, and as lowly as Jesus is stooping to invite them, <laughs> we still haven't gotten to who we are in the passage. And so who are we? Well, Jesus says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. Okay, that's us. Um, that's who we are apart from Christ. Like, we're below the lame. You know, historically, the church has, has abused this verse, that phrase, compel them to come in. You know, through the Crusades, the Inquisition, and others, you know, some have used literal physical force, right? Compelling them under the threat of death to believe in Jesus or die. But that's not what Jesus meant. So why would Jesus have to say that? Well, Jesus said, go out and compel them to come in because unlike the proud religious leaders, Jesus tells us that the people who actually make it into the feast, the people who are actually saved by his grace, know they don't deserve it. You know, there are some you know, that I've you know, talked to that due to how they're, they're viewed socially, maybe even in Greenwood, maybe their reputation, maybe it's their knowledge of their own sin, their past, their mess. Like They know they don't belong. And they know that they can't ascend the heights uh, they can't clean themselves up enough. And so they, so we, we need a little convincing that Jesus really did come to save us. Like, really did come for you. That, it, that it's not the healthy that Jesus came for, but it was actually the sick. You know, it's not the righteous he came to call, but the sinners. It's not the free that he came for. It is those who are in bondage. And so we need some compelling because we need a little lesson on remembering how our gracious God works. That though our sins are many, his mercy is more. <laughs> that is Jesus who put the guest list together. And that list is filled with people like me and you. People who have no business being there. But by God's grace really are invited in. Okay? And, and that's why we call it the good news. That it's not the good who make it. It's... It's, it's the wretched that Jesus saves by his grace and he calls in. That's the good news. 
So Brandon Lorenzen tells uh, the story of a, <laughs> a pastor who had a member of his church who owned this really fancy boutique, really, I mean, full of really fancy clothes, expensive clothes. And the, so the pastor was given a gift certificate there, and so he met his member who owned the, the store uh, to meet him there, and so they walked around the store looking at all these wonderful things that the pastor may want to buy, and he walked around and picked some things out, and the pastor wanted to make sure that he spent more than the gift certificate so he could put some cash into his friend's um, coffers, the cash register. So he grabbed the clothes, he went to check out, his friend rung it up there at the, at the register, and he said, hey, good news, you don't owe anything. You don't owe anything. This gift certificate is still good. So the pastor said, what? What? I mean, he, he had intentionally tried to overspend, right? And so the pastor decided that, okay, well, he would bring his wife back next week, and that, that would do the trick. They would clear it right out. And they were determined to, to spend this gift certificate, so they went around the store grabbing all sorts of things, all sorts of things that they would that they would buy, and after all was said and done, you know, he went, to the cat, he went up to the front, his friend rung him up again, checked him out, and his friend said, you are not going to believe this, but you don't owe anything. You don't owe anything. And then the pastor said, it is no way. Like, like we intentionally went, we, we came in trying to overspend this gift certificate, and we tried to be too much for it. And then his friend said, now, you don't understand the nature of this gift certificate. Whatever, whatever you throw at it will always come out as zero. Well, that is what God's grace is like. If you are not in Christ, it is not because you are too much. And it is not because you are too messy or too damaged. No, no, like he can handle anything you throw at him. There is forgiveness for you in him and you cannot exhaust his cleansing power. Like any sin you throw at him comes back forgiven. The call is to come to Christ as you are, period. Okay. So once Mr. Jesus died, not only so there would be room for you at this great banquet, this party in heaven, but so that in him you would be invited in as a beloved guest. And so you are invited. This morning is an invitation. And so may the gospel compel you to come. Well, let me pray for us. Father, in, in light of your staggering mercy to us, in, in light of your grace and what you have done for us on the cross and the favor that we have in Jesus, would, would we start to see all these excuses as they truly are? They are just lame. They are lame. But may all of our, our excuses welt uh, in the presence of you and your, your wondrous, marvelous uh, grace. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity now to come to your table. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you use these common everyday elements um, as a means of your grace to your people. Uh, Lord, continue to impress upon our hearts even throughout this week that we are invited. We're invited. We're invited. Uh, so through your spirit, may we respond to that call. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel 
and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.